This is 8 Minutes, a podcast helping you understand the energy and climate challenge in just a few minutes. I'm your host, Paul Schuster. A big part of any forecast on how we reach a net zero economy by 2050 involves ramping up our renewable power generation. And one of the biggest ways that the U.S. is looking to do so is through scaling our offshore wind industry. As recently as just a few years ago, the U.S. didn't have any wind turbines located in ocean waters. But today, there are over 40,000 megawatts of projects in some form of development. To go from nothing to huge is not going to be easy. Today, I'll dig into the opportunity, the challenges, and even some of the controversy around these mammoth-generating assets. Eight minutes. It's how long it takes the sun's rays to Earth, or as we celebrate America's Independence Day tomorrow. About twice as long as it would take you to read the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Give it a once over this 4th of July and let's get it on. Europe has had a vibrant offshore wind market for decades. The first offshore wind farm was developed off the coast of Denmark all the way back in 1991. And by 2024, there will be just under 30,000 megawatts of offshore wind generation being produced on that continent. Here in the U.S., though, Two projects, totaling only 42 megawatts of generation. Europe's scale is almost a thousand times bigger. But that doesn't mean that U.S. offshore wind doesn't have ambitious plans. There are currently over 40,000 megawatts of projects in the pipeline, and globally, the total size of the market is projected to grow from about 34,000 megawatts in 2020 to over 330,000 megawatts of capacity in 2030. From Europe to China to the U.S., these massive projects are expected to play a big role in the energy transition. So, why? It sure seems like it would be more difficult to build a project in deep ocean waters than it would be to find another plot of land in Texas or Oklahoma and just put down some other turbines. Why is offshore wind of such interest? Well, Part of it may be in getting the generating source closer to the major load centers. As fertile as the winds are blowing across the central plains, it's been a challenge to construct the transmission needed to ship those electrons from the center of the country to the coasts where the demand for renewable energy is the greatest. Wind leases off the coast of New York or Maine make it a bit easier to generate power closer to a New York or a Boston. And the size of these turbines is also a big reason why they create so much interest in renewable power circles. A normal on-land wind turbine is probably about 2.5 to 4 megawatts in size. GE's latest Haliad X offshore wind turbine, a ginormous 14 megawatts, 6 to 7 times the size of your typical onshore turbine. Vestas's V-164 turbine is so large that it's roughly twice the size of the Statue of Liberty. And with that size comes scale. These turbines generate a lot of power and can be far more efficient than onshore turbines, which is also a value factor. Wind turbines in the plains are subjected to a lot of intermittency as to whether the wind blows or not. Generally speaking, the wind likes to blow harder in colder temps and at overnight. But offshore, the wind profiles tend to be a lot more even. They're not baseload units like a nuclear or fossil plant could claim. But offshore wind is pretty darn close, which means that they also ease the complexities for grid balancing authorities. Offshore wind units can effectively substitute for an inefficient and dirty coal facility. All of which together may be why the Biden administration has really emphasized offshore wind as a tool for transitioning to cleaner, more renewable energy. In fact, whereas early development has been focused on the Northeast, in waters off the coast of New Jersey and New York, 
The current administration has opened up additional leases off the coasts of the Carolinas, California, Oregon, and the Gulf of Mexico. The drawback to these projects? I mean, it's still a new industry. We're at 42 megawatts today and have 40,000 megawatts in the pipeline. The learning curve is going to be steep, and a lot of challenges are going to be presented before we're through. First on that list, getting the price down. The price that these units are selling power at averages about $84 per megawatt hour per the DOE's 2022 offshore wind market report, which is actually a lot better than the over $100 pricing we were seeing just a couple of years ago, but it still has a long way to go to reach parity with today's onshore resources. And I'm not certain that those prices are just going to keep coming down in a nice trend line either. Already this year, developers from Orsted, Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners, CIP, and other offshore wind projects, they've requested that previously negotiated power prices be adjusted up in order to account for rising costs in the supply chain. It's, well, it's going to be a bit bumpy as we work out the kinks in this process. And then, of course, there's the concern that these turbines may be impacting the marine life and ecosystems. Putting aside the aesthetic value of the turbines, more recent concerns have focused on whether these turbines may be impacting the whale population in New England. Since 2016, there have been an abnormally high number of humpback and right whales dying in the Northeast. Since November of 2022, 18 whales have died. The nonprofit Clean Ocean Action blames the construction of these projects, positing that the sounds are damaging the fragile inner ear of these whales. But other experts disagree. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, says that it's unlikely that wind farms are at fault. They point to how 40% of whale deaths show signs of having been hit by ships or having been tangled in fishing gear, and they suggest that increased marine traffic is likely more of the culprit. And no less than Greenpeace actually agrees, arguing that whale deaths is a baseless distraction that should be discounted. Part of the reason? Those high whale deaths started well before the first wind farm was ever put into place. Now, there's something going on, and it requires a lot more investigation, but blaming it immediately on offshore wind projects may not be the whole picture. Regardless, the industry is committed to being good ecological stewards as they scale up these wind activities. Fortunately, Europe's experience lays out a roadmap to success, and it's no wonder that many of the big projects in development include European companies such as Orsted, CIP, Equinor, and others as development partners. That experience is helping our domestic industry grow in a more collaborative, biodiversity-aware planning of these projects, while also helping to drive down the learning curve and reduce costs too. All of which will be needed as the industry prepares to go from nothing to enormous in just a few years. I'm Paul Schuster, and this has been your 8 Minutes.